How does someone grow from zero to 50K to 100K and beyond as fast as possible on social media? That is precisely what this week's guest of the Stride Forward show has done in the last few months. Rob Lennon started on Twitter in May of 2022, and less than six months later, he had already surpassed 50,000 followers. On top of that, he also has a really interesting career history, working in startups for over 15 years, but he's also published 45 fiction books, mostly romance novels. Between masterful storytelling, marketing knowledge, and enormous insight into AI tools, Rob has exploded on both Twitter and LinkedIn recently. He's also building one of the most exciting projects in the world right now. And that is what he's calling Mind Meets Machine. Mind Meets Machine is a podcast, but it's not an ordinary podcast. It is co-hosted by Rob and an artificial intelligence person that he's building from scratch. In the following conversation, Rob and I discuss each and every one of these things. We discuss how to rapidly grow your own audience and go from zero to solopreneur as fast as possible. So joining me this week on the Stride Forward show is none other than the legendary writer, Rob Lennon, who I came across on Twitter months ago and has continued to explode. Uh, we are going to talk all things audience growth, AI, and his exciting upcoming projects. But Rob, thanks for coming on. If you want to take a few moments, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. And thanks again, man, for coming on. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm excited. Um yeah, most of my career was in tech startups and marketing roles, and I, I did that for the past 12 years or so, and um, recently went full-time solo printer after my Twitter account blew up. Um, I, I grew to, to like 80,000 people over the last, or 80,000 followers over the last seven or eight months, something like that, and it's enabled me to, to I don't know, explore my passions and things. But yeah, background in marketing, um, also as a side hustle, I was a fiction writer for, for a long time, published a bunch of books, mostly romance novels, so, so like don't end up talking about it that often, but uh, happy to dive into that and anything you want to talk about there. And then now I'm um, just really heavily focused on AI. I've been playing with AI since 2018 when GPT-2 came out. But but without telling anybody about it because it wasn't it wasn't a hot topic back then. It, you were looked at if you were a writer with uh, some sideways eyes if you talked about AI. Um, but finally, all that tinkering is is coming into to value in society as, as the world wakes up to what's possible. So, uh, yeah, it is. Isn't yeah. it amazing when the interests just align with the hot trend of today? And it helps uh, on LinkedIn right now, especially from what I can tell for me. Um, yeah. but no, I, I would love to actually start with Twitter. So I okay. have some very mixed ideas of Twitter, which I've expressed and you are the perfect person to talk through with that, <laughs> um, because you're the exact opposite of what I say. So just to detail that a little bit, I think Twitter is exceptionally valuable once you have a large audience, maybe even more so that if you handed me a hundred thousand subscribers on any platform right now, I might pick Twitter maybe second to YouTube. However, Twitter is incredibly brutal for new accounts or someone that's new to the content creation scene. So I say it's honestly not the best to start on Twitter is what I usually recommend. However, you shattered that. So let's get the credentials back here again. So from what <laughs> yeah. I can remember, you went from zero to 50,000 in about six months. 
That's right. On Twitter. Yeah. I, so, I, I got to 10,000 in 41 days, and then I got to 50,000 on exactly my six-month day. So this is exactly why I said you were the perfect person to talk <laughs> through this with. So now, what do but you... But I had some advantages. So for, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll talk about those. But what would you say to, to someone that has that exact opinion I just expressed? Like Twitter is a really hard place to start. It's brutal. What would you say? Do you think that could be true? Or do you think that's just not understanding the platform completely or well enough? I don't think it's any more brutal than any of the other social networks, to be honest. Um, it, it's, I mean, it, it moves fast, maybe a little bit faster than some. And, but like anything, it's it, the, if you're going to grow on social, you want to pick a network where you're going to be successful and it's kind of, it fits with your energy. So I like to experiment a lot. I like to move quickly. I like to publish with typos. Like, I don't want everything to be a perfect little thing. I, I just want to keep going and, and blasting stuff out. Twitter's really good for that. Um, something with LinkedIn tends to be people, um, uh, polish their stuff a little bit more. It moves a little bit slower. It's not, it's not as chaotic. Um, uh, but that creates a different dynamic and a different attitude around the content maybe even some mental blockers for some people who get up in their head about what can they post, things like that. So um, I don't think it's that hard. But one of the things that you have to do to succeed on any of the social networks is you have to find your crew, right? You, you go out there and you start with nothing, and the algorithm shows your stuff to barely any people. And if you can't manage to connect with some people in an authentic way where um, they start to recognize you, you start to become friends, you start to you know see each other's content more often and enjoy commenting and reacting and sharing. If you can't find your crew, like then you're gonna you're not gonna grow fast. And so what essentially what benefited me the most was when I started I had I had nothing, my you know, I had no followers. And I would I was like, okay, my account has no value. To, no value to anybody else because I have no followers to share. If I, um, so I was like, well, but I am a good writer. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to try and write the best comment whenever I comment that like makes the other writer look good or keeps the conversation going or, or makes things more interesting. When I, when I do a quote retweet, I'm going to write the coolest. I'm like going to write another hook for their, for their thread. Like when I quote retweet, it's like, I'm going to sell my own audience on it. I'm just going to write like the best comments. And that was, that was my thing because I was self-conscious about having no followers. But it ended up making people really like me because they're like, wow, Rob really puts a lot of time and energy into react, like commenting, reacting to my stuff. And so I built up this like uh, core group of people pretty quickly through that process of or like kind of as a consequence of that. And, and that was how or that, that helped me jump through some parts of growth that other people uh, struggle with, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of the magic anywhere on any platform is finding that core group of people, but it's also part of the fun, like connecting with like-minded creators and watching each other grow, cheering each other on anything in that ballpark it is a huge part of the fun. And I'm curious to know, did you know going into your Twitter journey, that that was going to be the proper strategy or did you just figure that out very quickly after creating your account and starting the post? Well, I, I had a few um, mentors and like sort of, I had a, I had a, a, a plan that I started with, but it's the same kind of plan. If you go on Twitter and you like, you look at anybody's thread, it's like how to grow on Twitter. And they'll tell you the same plan. Like that was the plan that I had. Um, 
And so, so I had a good solid foundation and the plan is usually something like you need to post every day. Um, you need to, you need to engage with people in a two way manner, comment on people's stuff. Um, they come back to you, social platforms, reward community building. And, and so if you're not commenting and engaging, if you're just broadcasting, you're never going to grow because they don't favor you in the algorithm. Um, and, and then I knew that threads, writing threads and longer form content were the way to establish yourself as an expert. And that's what drove followers that people would see, would go, oh, this guy's got really good, good content. So I, I knew that I wanted to write, write threads and I even wrote one every day for 21 days. Um, when I, when I first started, uh, to make that work. But, but then my, my, what I didn't know was like that my, my specific commenting strategy would endear me to people. Or I had this other thing that came up, um, that ended up being my secret weapon, which was, I didn't really care how many followers you had. A lot of people focus only on big creators because they like, Oh, if I could just get someone with a hundred thousand followers to like retweet me once, like then my life would be, would be complete. Uh, which, by the way, doesn't really work. Um, but so most of the mm -hmm. attention goes to people with big followings. And I was basically like, hey, if, if you have good content, if you're interesting, like if you're a likable person, I don't care. Like, I'll support you regardless. It doesn't matter if you have 50 followers or 50,000. And so I had I developed almost like this army of underdogs where we were all like like smaller accounts um, and working together with each other. But there were more of us. And so uh that this like army of underdogs actually became a really powerful growth engine for, for a lot of the people in that group, even though we, we only had, you know, hundreds or a few thousand followers at the time, I think because we had a really diverse and broad group, like in the algorithm size of engagement and these people, even people doing um, like engagement circles, like the bigger creators, you know, it's not talked about a lot, but like who have these, um, mutually beneficial relationships to retweet each other or to comment on each other's posts and they'll message each other independent of the platform and say, Hey, can you give me some help on this? Even people who were doing that, we were more competitive ourselves because we had like the bigger group. Um, and it, it turned out that like having, getting one comment from a person with a hundred thousand followers is way weaker than getting 10 comments from 10 people with 10,000 followers. Like the, it, do, it doesn't add up to the same, you know, the, the second strategy is way more effective. So it was almost by chance or by luck that my life strategy aligned with the algorithm and this and the dynamics of the social platform. Um, and I was rewarded with a lot of growth and a lot of impressions and some big viral hits helped me as well. But, uh, I, and I, and I like that actually, I like how it, uh, how it played out that way, that it, it kind of like, you know, there, there can be some cynicism about these things and that there's like a secret group or pay to play type stuff going on, or you know, you have to have a friend with a big following and it's like, um, you don't necessarily need to, but you, you do need to have some friends, I think. Yeah. Friends, especially. And it's funny because your life philosophy was very similar to mine, especially on LinkedIn, which is where most of my community is. And my engagement rate is very good there, even if my follower count isn't per se as high as some other creators. But my strategy truly was, I don't browse the feed. I have a few creators that I enjoy, even though they're large, I will go comment there. But really and truly, I look at who comments on my post. And I go and I look at theirs and I engage with their post. I read their content and you build real relationships that way. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to me. You took that a step further and even noticed that 
the algorithm itself also rewarded that. But I think it's just a testament to, to real relationship and real community can lead to rapid audience growth or at minimum, a good engagement rate. And so yeah. it's so really now, cool you went a step further. Now I like to tell people that you need to think about the two algorithms on any social network, the human one and the and like the computer one. So a lot of people obsess over whether or not like the computer is holding their post back. And they don't think enough about the fact that like there's real people behind every engagement on every post. And those people have feelings and, and they care about things and they, they have memories and um there's 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 this entire other dynamic and the it's like SEO um, for for anyone who's listening who who knows SEO there's technical SEO and then there's the content itself and like yeah if if your content is a hot mess on the uh, like in how it's coded or the wrong, it's the wrong amount of words and stuff it's probably not going to get ranked on Google but once it does get ranked on Google and someone clicks on it it still has to answer their search query it has to they they need to stay on the page and and get the information they were looking for. The way that you win in SEO is, is by creating content that solves people's problems. It's not by like doing technical work. That's just like a foundation. And so growing on social media is kind of the same thing. Like that computer algorithm is just okay. Don't don't do stupid stuff. But uh, it really comes down to the people and whether or not you're you know you're you're helping them. Um, that's where the success comes from. Yeah. And so speaking of people and the real feelings behind the algorithm, which is the people on the other end, this is a great opportunity to segue into your, your true mastery, which is the AI scene. Um, I know earlier you mentioned you were all the way back on GPT-2. How have you seen content change from a lot of people you followed since chat GPT has become so common? Have you seen content kind of devolve and become more generic or have you seen creators leveraging that more effectively and content seems to be in an even better place than before? On, on social media, content has improved. And I think that that's because there's a higher bar and a higher standard that, and, and, and a person's face is attached to anything that they post. And so they don't want to embarrass themselves. Um, Although for a while there was, a, like on Twitter, there's a really popular tool called Tweet Hunter, and it, it gives you AI suggestions for your stuff. And um, I would sometimes see people posting the same AI-generated posts <laughs> from Tweet Hunter, and I'm yeah, like, I, oh, no, yeah. this is not good. <laughs> but uh, um, that was also because I, I, I had studied what Tweet Hunter was doing as an AI, sort of like my fascination with AI. I wanted to see, well, how are they generating... Twitter posts and I, and I decided that I didn't really like their um, their strategy. But for the most part, content on social is, has improved. But I think from an SEO and like article writing perspective, the, the content farms that can like just churn out massive amounts of very generic content that's not very helpful um, have also been empowered. And so I suspect that that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more of that kind of content. Um, that said, like for a while in one of my marketing roles, I was working with a team of writers to write content for our site. And when, when AI started to evolve and GPT-3 came out and I tested GPT-3 versus a, a sort of budget writer, the AI was a better writer than the, the person who kind of half-assed their work. And so it, it is interesting dynamic in that it's like a, AI is like a forcing function for quality in some cases. You can't just kind of write anything and get away with it anymore because the AI could do that just as good. 
So now stuff that people are taking the time to write by hand tends to be, or it, I think it's trending in a higher quality direction, actually, um, which is a little bit different than what most people expected. Yeah. And so that reminds me of a quiz I took. And you may have seen the same quiz come across your Twitter feed where it was a competition between it'll show you two passages. One was written by a human and one was written by AI. And all you had to do was determine which one was written by AI or a human. And I am not an expert in AI, but I do yeah. play around with it and have learned much more than the average person, I would say. And I got only about 14% right, <laughs> which is terrible. And so to me, that signaled, obviously, AI content is getting pretty damn good. And we're at a place now where it can be serviceable. But also from a creator standpoint, it is already the time where if you are not implementing not just emotion, but your own personal experiences into your content, you will not grow. You will fall behind very swiftly. And I think even my favorite stories, there's one on Twitter from uh, Casey Jones, who mm -hmm. I believe you're familiar with. And she wrote, you know, her most viral Twitter thread was a story about how her dog attacked her. She adopted a dog and this whole scenario played out. It's a fabulous thread. It's a great story. And I was like, this is why this went viral. It's a story only she can tell. And so I think that's the next step in content is use AI to speed up your workflow. It's great. It can get you there, but it needs to end up being a story only you can tell. So is that kind of where you are now with your writing? And is that something you think about when you're crafting threads or posts? Yeah, I mean, we, we are in the age of, of the power of a personal brand. And knowing that anybody can generate any kind of content, whether or not we know that person and we trust them to, to only bring the best, um, I think it's going to be more and more important. But likewise, like storytelling has always been one of the best ways to communicate as a human being. It's in our DNA. Um, studies have shown that when people like listen to a story, the same regions of the brain light up as if they were experiencing the same events, you know, so, so stories can impact us in, in dramatic ways. And they also help us form memory, right? I sometimes tell people, um, I was, I was named Robert. My mom calls me Robbie. Like I go by Rob and my, only my closest friends call me Bob. Uh, like only, only my, my true buddies are allowed to call me Bob. That, that's a story about my name so that people can remember it. Like if I meet you at a networking event or something. Um, so, so because I said that, like people, if, if you go back and you're like, Hey, what was that guy's name on that show? Like people are going to remember because it was a story. If I, if I just say like my name over and over again, it's just a fact. It doesn't stick in the brain. So we, like we know stories are, are super powerful and also that I mean, I can't authentically tell a story about their life because they have no life or the, or their life is the collective lives of all humanity. Um, in a way from all the content that they've, they've gone through. So this is actually going to be, I think, a great moment in writing in, in the, for the his, in the history of writing in that after some initial, there's probably going to be some bumps, but um, people will be able to tell their stories and work their stories in and have the facts be more easily created with the help of like an AI assistant and not have to worry so much about certain parts of their content creation process, be able to focus on the other parts that are even more valuable. Um, I think it's quite exciting, to be honest. I do too. No, I'm really excited for AI now and in the future.
and how it unfolds, I think it's honestly, you can argue it's just as impactful as when the internet originally started becoming popular. It was very, you had two sides. You had this one side that was like, this is going to change the world. Everything we know is going to be flipped on its head. And then you had this other side that was very fearful of it. What's it going to do to the workforce? Uh, and all these scared feelings and they didn't want to push forward. And so my take to that is, unfortunately, it's very blunt, but you're either going to embrace it to the best of your ability or you're going to fall behind. And that's just a harsh truth. And yeah. so, but on that, on the topic of storytelling and AI, I'm curious to know, since you were all the way back in 2018 playing around with GPT-2, you were also writing the romance novels. Did you utilize those tools to help you push out that many books? Because that is a lot of books, Rob. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, originally I tried. Um, I di it didn't end up working. So GPT two, when it would, first of all, the the AIs are still not great when it comes to writing fiction. And one of the reasons is that the, is that the the memory is limited to a, a set of tokens around the prompt that you're writing, which um, even on the best ones, is like about 3000 words to 2500 words. So it can't it doesn't know what happened in the book. Um, and and it requires a lot of like babysitting to to even tell it who are these characters? What do they look like? What are their relationships? Like there are all this there's all this information you have to keep feeding back into it. Um, because it loses track of it. And so it was kind of funny because with, with GPT-2, you'd start writing a story and it would start out great. Like first paragraph, oh, this is really interesting. Two characters and they're headed in, in this direction and there's some danger. And then one of them would turn to the other one and go, I don't know what we're doing. And then the, the one would be like, I don't know either. Like literally the AI is writing this because <laughs> it doesn't know <laughs> what's going on in the story. Like I, it used to crack me up. I wish I had some screenshots of it. Um there's some better tools now, but uh, yeah, so so I, I played with it a lot, but it, it kind of like it is still in some types of content creation. It was good for, for thinking of ideas. You could tell it, um, like, here's a few ideas of, uh, like, for the niche that I'm writing in, give me a few more. Like, and so you, you could feed it things and it would pattern match and it would give you a few more, few more ideas or like... Like I might write a story about an office romance with a boss and then it, like the, the new, the new employee. And I'd be like, give me five examples of other types of forbidden office romances. Um, and then it would come up with some other, Oh, what if it's the bosses of two companies that are competitors? What, you know, like, you know, like it would, it would think of other things and oh, that's a great, Oh, I like that story. Like let's, let's have those rivals have this romance. Like that's going to, um, pull at the heartstrings and create some tension and problems in the relationship. The way that I wrote all those books was that I became obsessed with speed writing flow states. And I started tracking my writing habits um, in a spreadsheet where I was writing, if I was typing or dictating what the story was, like what the content was, if I had outlined or not, like all these different factors. And, and, and then I would but put my, my word, word beginning word count and end word count in the time and calculate effective words per minute. And I got my effective words per minute up above 3000. So I could dictate out in my office on something that I had plotted out very loosely, um, a few thousand words in just a couple of hours and a book, a, like a, a short, short ish, like a satisfying romance novel is 50,000 words. So if you can imagine if you can write a first draft, 3000 words an hour, um, 
it, which is an insane amount of, of content to write, by the way, if anyone who's ever tracked their, their writing speed. Uh, the, the, but that's how I did it. And I could do it because these, when I was, this type of book is, it's a little bit formulaic. And so you could rely on the formulas to know that like, as long as I have the meet cute moment where the, the two people meet and it's cute. And as long as I have the, you know, at a certain moment that everything is, is terrible and they're being pulled apart and like, there were certain beats you had to hit, but otherwise you could kind of just free freestyle or I could from my brain, just ideas out onto the page. Um, and, and they would often turn out quite good uh, just like coming out of the imagination much harder to write real business content actually because you have to you have to think harder yeah um it's funny that you mentioned that it was formulaic it's almost like writing a romance novel sounds like an extended version of a copywriting formula (laughs) you have your problem you're going to agitate the problem then they're going to meet and it's going to be cute and then everything is going to be butterflies and rainbows and happily ever after and you have your solution (laughs) so that's it's kind of funny in that way so yeah. this must be when you learned kind of like progress over perfection, it sounds like. So a lot of people get stuck in their head about they want to reach this amazing high quality barrier that's almost impossible to hit. But instead, it just needs to be, do you find that there needs to be just like a minimum barrier of quality and then release? Or how did you go about the editing process uh, and, and hitting a certain level of quality that you were happy with? Yeah. Oh man, my stories, the, the quality level was terrible initially and I, and, and they still sold because, and uh, I didn't write in this, in this niche, but I'll use it as an example. If you're writing time travel, Scottish Highlander romance novels, there's only so many to read. And so if somebody just loves this, the adventure of someone like feeling like they could go into the past and meet a brooding, arrogant Highlander and win his heart despite his tough exterior, like they will read every book in that genre. And so it doesn't have to be perfect. It, it just has to have the right elements. And so um, I was I was part of some Reddit communities that that would talk about this and people would be like, no, like, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't even need to be professionally edited. You can edit, edit it yourself. And uh so I focused on quantity and um, I mean, I didn't put out terrible stuff, but I tried to put out <laughs> stuff that was pretty good, um, but I would only do like one or two rounds of editing. Like you could spend a year writing a book and just mm-hmm. make it an award-winning book, um, but I could write a book in two weeks. So, uh, and and if you think about how many books you can write, over a couple of years, like on the side, if you can write a book in two weeks or a month, you know, in the first year I published like 30 times or something like that. Um, And not all of them hit, but some of them did. And actually by the time I got to the 30th one, I was quite good at writing because I had done it so much. Um, And I probably became a much better writer than somebody who was meticulously trying to write the one perfect book and probably never finished. Um, Like my, my rule was, a writer finishes the book that they start, like, because it turns out some crazy percentage of people start writing a book and never even finish the first one. Yeah, that's most people I find. And I think that goes with content too. So I have a lot of those same learnings. Do they, I mean, I noticed earlier you mentioned on Twitter, you yeah. know, you'll post with typos. You'll, you'll post, even if it's not perfect, it's more about rapid idea generation than anything else. So it sounds like that's where you originally learn those lessons. And it's about, quantity over quality to a certain extent 
So is that kind of where you originally found those lessons or was it more of like the startup days and getting MVPs out the door? <laughs> There's definitely that. Um, <laughs> well, and let me clarify that too, because there, there, it's like, it's too, it's too overly simplistic to say it's just about quantity. Uh, like, uh, so, and I've already sort of said this, but let me underline it. It's, it's, it's quantity with those specific things that the audience or the customer needs to be successful. In, in the case of a, a time travel romance novel, you're selling an entertainment experience that the, the person needs to be swept away into a, into a magical scenario and feel like they were there and experience emotions. As long as that's there, um, and as long as the typos don't kick them out of that experience. So some readers get really frustrated by typos in books because it it reminds them they're reading a book and it it, it pulls them back into reality. But as long as they're able to stay in, and enjoy themselves, then it's great. So same thing with social media. If you're solving people's um, fears and for their fears and frustrations with your content, or if you're helping them achieve their goals, whether or not there's like a, a little mistake here or there isn't going to bother them because the, your your overall goal is being met. Um, and in startups and in, in, in any company, even, I, I think it's kind of the same thing. Bigger companies don't have the ability to, or they don't feel like they have the ability to move quick and make mistakes. Um, but uh, a similar thing, like if your product solves a, a problem for, for a user and it has a little bug here and there, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt sometimes. But it, if it doesn't solve their problem or the bug blocks their problem from being solved, then they get really, really mad. <laughs> um, so it's all about like knowing what actually matters and whether or not that, that piece of quality that you're chasing matters at all. Or, um, you know, if you're just chasing it because you're self-conscious about, I don't know, being, being looked at like you don't produce good work or something like that. I think the self-conscious is a huge factor. I mean, even myself, I have known for a very long time, like how powerful writing online is, putting yourself out there, building a personal brand. One could say it's arguably the most valuable thing you can do now, just because if I lost my job tomorrow or uh, if, if anyone does and they have a brand or they, someone comes in their house and steals all their stuff. If you have a huge personal brand, you could monetize and turn yourself into a business like that if you really need to. And so speaking of being self-conscious, like that was a huge part for me in delaying that for so long yeah. and just putting myself out there. And another half is just internet hate in general. Like it took me a long time <laughs> to come over that mental barrier. Honestly, that gave me so much anxiety in my early twenties. Like anyone disagrees with me online. I'm like, Oh my God, my day is ruined. But so I'm curious to know, like from your perspective, you had all this, this writing skill that you built through the novels, you have all this marketing experience. So, but is to my knowledge, personal brand building was relatively new to you in 2022. And that started with Twitter. Was there anything that held you back from getting going despite clearly having the right skill set for it? Hmm. Oh man. I don't know. I like the first thing that I did wrong was I burned myself out. Mm -hmm. And you, when you start to grow and you see the opportunity and, and offers that involve money start coming at you and things like that, and you want to take them all, you want to, you want to get it all. Um, and also there's this like dopamine effect when you're growing on social media where, Oh, the notification bell lit up again and your brain gets excited and you get addicted to it. Um, and so I burned myself out hard and I, I, I had to take like a couple weeks vacation from, 
from audience building because uh it, it yeah i was i was just like I couldn't, I, 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 like I told you how I wrote a thread every day for 21 days. And then I was like, I can't write a thread at all right now. Like I'm just so exhausted. Yeah. I don't have anything left to say. So, so that held me back in terms of not knowing stuff. Um, I think I knew the right amount. I had, I had worked on building company brands before, but never personal ones. So I had a sense of what a brand is, although it's weird when it's a person um, and it's when it's you even, cause you're like, well, am I a, business? Am I a person? Like, am I a personality? Am I a topic? Like, what does personal branding mean? Um, but like with many creators, my effort to explore that and figure it out became a lot of my content. So I wrote a few pieces on personal branding and, and um, developed some frameworks around how to think about it and how many topics should you talk about? And what does it, what does that mean to, to have a topic? And um, who's your audience? What does that mean? Like a uh, I had to answer those questions for myself and then I could answer them for my audience too. So it was probably useful that I didn't actually know some of that stuff that I was figuring it out. Um, because yeah, I think I also figured out some secrets that other people hadn't or, or weren't as common knowledge as a result of like not knowing in the first place. I, um, I came upon a few golden nuggets that then I could share. So I would say anyone who wants to grow an audience, like don't, don't be afraid if you don't feel like you're the expert. There's actually two types of, or two two main types of content and content creators, and and some people flip back and forth between them. There's there's the like wizened expert who's like passing along the knowledge, and and so you'll you'll see that sometimes. Oh, uh, I've built this many companies, and the two of them were acquired for this many millions of dollars, and here's the seven things you need to know. Okay, expert. But you can you also have the person who's saying, I'm building a million dollar company, and this is what I learned this week, and. To me, both of those people are equally interesting to hear from um, in terms of the knowledge that they're gaining. And, and so if, as long as you're, what you're sharing is like useful, I think the fact that you, you're learning it and sharing it as you go is a really compelling and captivating way to share. Um, and that, so that was what I initially did. And then even just a month later, now I'm the expert and I'm like <laughs> passing along the knowledge <laughs> from last month um, and the role flips, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really funny how you go from growing audience to everyone's looking up to you so fast. Even someone that doesn't grow quite as fast as you, even if it takes them a year or two, that's still pretty quickly in the grand scheme of things. I mean, yeah on a personal level, in terms of personal growth, just in terms of like, even your personality, you mentioned the burnout, but how has growing so rapidly changed your life just on, on a day-to-day -day personal level? Do you, do you love the impact you're making? And how has that, how has that impacted you as a person as well? Because it's such a big deal, in my opinion, the impact we can have on people that read our stuff every day. It, it, it it's kind of wild actually. So the first thing that happened was I started spending time that I had been using for things that weren't useful, like playing video games or watching television. Now I'm creating content and interacting with people. And on Twitter, on the business side of Twitter, there are a lot of people who, um, who promote like, like they're just good people. And they're like, um, I don't know, they promote this way of living where it's like, take care of yourself and treat your family and your friends with respect and work on projects and build a business and um, <laughs> golden rules. But like the next thing you know, you're eating healthier and you're exercising more and you're building a business and you're creating products because you're surrounded by people who are doing all this stuff. 
that was kind of an unexpected benefit of being involved in this world now. Um, and then, and then when you have an audience and you start getting messages every day from people who are like, Hey, thanks so much. This was awesome. That helped me. Um, it's really motivating. And like, personally, I get more value out of those than I do from like a dollar that I earn or something like that. Um, when I get those messages from people where it's like, like, um, I've always been pretty good to my international audience and, and some people don't interact with their, the, the Nigerians in their feed or the, you know, so like, I, like, I hate to say it, but it, it's just like, there's, it happens. Right. And I would sometimes take an, an extra amount of effort to make sure like that people who where English was their second language could understand some writing concept that I was making or something like that. And, and I'd watch as like people who were in really poor situations were improving, actually like improving their lives and like getting out of poverty because they, they learned how to kind of create an internet business partially from content that I was writing and creating about audience building and monetization and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, like, uh, you feel a sense of purpose that you, that you, that you, I never felt when I worked for a company. Like, okay, I, I worked on meeting productivity software that helped you track meeting notes and, and schedule with your colleagues. I did not feel like I was like, yeah, meetings are a tough part of work. And like, we were solving an important problem, but like, I wasn't raising people out of poverty, <laughs> you know? Like, right. Yeah. Um, so, so it, it's, it's been remarkable in that sense. And then just to have the autonomy over my time now and to have been able to leave the nine to five and, um, and work on the things that I want to work on and somehow get paid for it uh, is, is absolutely incredible. And, and, to not, and to actually have a higher income now than, than I did six months ago uh, when I was, when I had a salary and it was a good salary, you know, like uh, after a decade and a half of working uh, you get up to a pretty high place. So it's really scary to go out on your own and to, to know that I didn't sacrifice my livelihood um, is like this incredible feeling like to be my own boss and for it to be successful. So one of the cornerstones of my brand is to inspire. And so to anyone listening, if you just heard Rob say that for the last <laughs> minute and a half and aren't coming away inspired, then I can't help you because Rob just did the job for me. <laughs> but speaking of getting to work on what you want to work on, taking autonomy over your time, you have a lot of exciting projects you've just finished and at least one that I know of coming soon. And so the most recently, I, th I believe your most recently release was the AI content reactor course, which mm -hmm. is mostly centric about prompts for AI and chat GPT tools and leveraging those to, to be the most effective we can. I actually bought it. I learned something. I haven't gone all the way through it yet, but I was curious to see how you were engineering the prompts. And so talk to us a little bit about how you kind of went from, this is the idea for the course, this is the iterations, this is what the final product is, and, and what have been some great insights from that process for you? Yeah, so in November, I was creating um, a, a, content, um, a content workflow, sort of a content system for creators. Uh, I ba basically, I was taking my my system for producing tons of content and creating a course out of it. And then ChatGPT was released. And then two weeks later, I had like 7 million people were using it. And 
around that time, I thought, I wonder what happens if I give my system that I'm building right now to ChatGPT and try and tell it, do some of these steps for me. And I remember um, put, like creating some of these prompts and like hitting enter and having all this work that used to take me like an hour or more for one step just come out in, in 10 seconds and feeling like physically sick. Like I, like I was going to throw up because like, <laughs> because it, it just came out. Like it, it took no effort at all. And, 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 and just being like, Oh my God, like, should I share this? And I, my first thought was like, I shouldn't because it'll ruin writers. Like it'll ruin the world if I share that <laughs> this is possible. Um, <clears throat> but the more I thought about it, I was like, this, this is happening. And I can either be a leader in it and try and teach people how to use it correctly and to their benefit, or, or I can watch it play out in any way it's going to play out. And so I took what I had from that course. And then um, I took the knowledge that I had from having played with AI for a long time, even if it wasn't chat GBT, a lot of the same concepts were the same. And so it was a quick study, I figured out chat GBT really quickly. And I put them together. And it was Christmas Eve that I pre launched the pre-sale for the course. Um, I was still building it at that time. And then, and then I released it on January 1st or January 2nd. No, I, was, I got, I had to go to the ER on January 1st, <laughs> January 2nd. Uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be January 1st. Long story. Uh, I got food poisoning and then I had an asthma attack and I had to go make sure that I wasn't going to die, but it was fine. Everything's fine. Um, okay. So the AI content reactor was what came out of it was like me basically taking my core workflow and figuring out how do I make an AI do like 80% of the work here so that as a writer, I can focus on the, just the most important parts and how can it get me into a really strong position um, and, and sharing those techniques. And it was the first big course on AI that came out. Uh, now we're starting to see a few others pop up, but I was really fortunate that I was like already in course creation mode when this all happened. And the lesson I think for people listening is sometimes something happens and and you see an opportunity and you can either take that opportunity and and make a bold move maybe that could be wrong or you can let it pass by and i was sitting on a bunch of work that i had already invested in and i had to throw a lot of it away when i pivoted this as well like i had some some but a lot of it was wrong now and i wanted the course to take an hour to go through and so uh i couldn't just like leave everything i had to cut a lot but I went, this is happening. Like 7 million people just signed up for chat GBT. The internet's crazy about it. And nobody is actually teaching people how to use it beyond like these simple tips. And I know how, like, I have to give this a try. Like this, this is better than like, there's, there's 10 people who all have great content creation uh, systems. They're, they're all a little bit different. I think mine's great too, you know, but uh but the, there was nothing like this. So like I took that opportunity and the lesson for me there, and, and I, I released the pre-sale on Christmas Eve because that's when I finished building the landing page. Not like, it was not intentional. <laughs> you know, it was just like, how fast can I do this and keep the quality level where I want it to be? And um, I finished it that Saturday night and I was like, oh, whatever. Like, it's going to be Christmas Eve in a few hours. Like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> We just got to make it a Christmas Eve launch pre-sale well, special. And that's what you did. I did $10,000 in sales that in the first 24 hours. And so what that taught me was that it, even more than a holiday and distractions and all these other things, that there was this pent-up demand. In that, um, and I, I had an, a, an audience and um, 
So like I had some advantage like, that 10 K didn't come out of nowhere, but it, it really taught me something about like seizing opportunities when you, you just sort of know, like I had this energy in my gut that this was going to be a, a home run. And so I went for it and I'm really glad that I listened to that little, that little voice inside me that was like, um, this, this needs to be done now. And, uh, and it's, uh, I, I'm also now developing this podcast with this, with, with an AI co-host and it's that same energy in my stomach that made me go, you should do this. Nobody's really done this. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm convinced that it's going to have a similar, it's going to be similarly outrageously successful in its own way, at least versus the number of hours I put into it. Um, because, because it's, it's such a weird idea. Yeah. Uh, we're going to come back to the podcast after this. I want to add just a couple more lessons just from the outside uh, yeah. of watching your course be built as well as like my experience, seeing other creators build them and working with people that have released them before. I think, like there's a couple more things that are super important for anyone listening that wants to get into course creation. And number one is, is you, no matter how big you get, no matter how fast your audience grows, you are always going to have that little person inside of you thinking, should I do this? It might fail. And so number one is every entrepreneur I've ever known, even the most highly successful ones have all failed many, many times. Yeah. Don't be afraid to release something. It flopped. And then end your career as an entrepreneur. That's not how it works. At some point in your time, you will release something that won't do as well, but it's also a learning experience. Number two, Rob, your course had amazing feedback from what I saw. And I think this is due to two reasons. But number one, I think it's really funny. Your course was so powerful that the one person asked for a refund because they were like, it's too good. I can't <laughs> use this. This is cheating. <laughs> so that's a good that one. That guy felt really uncomfortable with having the AI do so much work for him. And I yeah. respect that. <laughs> uh, it's powerful. And then, so the other thing is like, what makes a good course and what makes your AI content reactor course so good is, is there's two parts. Number one, because of the prompt system, because of how you built it, it gets you from point A to point B extremely quickly. Like you can start getting results within five minutes of booting up this course and going through the material. It's pretty fascinating. And number two, but you also teach like the foundational aspects behind it that just because you have prompts, understanding the system is important too, because then you can manipulate it and make it your own. Is there, were both of those two things top of mind when you were creating the course? Yeah. So, um, the first one that you talked about was by design and I wanted there to be this wow moment as early on in the course as possible. Like a lot of courses will start out with fundamentals and you don't actually get into the meat of doing things that are interesting until halfway through. Now you know enough to like be dangerous with your information. And, and I thought, well, how can I engineer something amazing right off the bat so that anyone who just bought this is like, oh yeah, that was a good investment. And, and I want to complete it. Like I want to go through and see what else is there. And, uh, and I remember or it's, and it's helpful that AI is involved because you can give people some magic to do, even if they don't quite understand how the magic is being done. And then we can go back and like, kind of learn, okay, how did that work? But, um, I, yeah, it's, I wanted to have all these moments of delight, uh, in the course. And then part of the design that I did, it's, it's part video and part written. 
with the, with prompts, you often need to copy text or look at text for a while. And it, it's not like showing text on video. It's, it's just not a good experience. And so I think that tr- creating something where the, the uh, medium was applicable to whatever I was teaching. If it was like a concept, I could talk about it on video. And if it was sort of like a workbook activity, I could give you step-by-step written and you could follow along and do it if you wanted, or you could sort of like pretend like you did it because I would show you what happened when I did it. I think that was super successful for people and they appreciated the blend of things because it allowed them to to get the information in, in the best mode that was possible. Um, and then the third thing that I did was I actually deliberately tried to keep it short. I probably have an eight-hour course on AI in me, um, but like if we go down some of those rabbit holes, they are going to be so boring to certain people and and not applicable like to what s- s- others are doing, um, or or maybe they they would be too advanced. Like you want to consume something and then go pr- use it for a month or two and then come back and learn something more advanced. So um, part of the 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 proposition behind it, I think, was like. This is pretty quick. Like you're you're gonna in the course of an afternoon go from beginner to advanced user. Um and I've seen people like since I released that course, two other two of my friends have released courses that were had more than eight hours of video content. And I, I couldn't buy either of those courses. I don't have time. Right. And so I think that if if you're thinking about creating a course, like uh spend the extra time to make it shorter. Like it took longer to make a shorter course, if that makes sense. Like I, yeah. I had to cut and edit and, um, you know, I had to be careful with all the topics that I covered and all that stuff, but like actually take the time. Cause like I would pay twice as much for the, the one hour version of that eight hour course, if I could get the one hour version, right. <laughs> Cause yeah. then I could actually do it. So those were like the philosophies that I had when I created mine, at least it's based mostly on my experience with other people's courses and the things that I liked about them or didn't like about them. Yeah. I think, I think anything is getting from a to B quickly and showing the magic right up front. Like you mentioned, just makes people well-received any course, all the top courses I've seen. That's what they do. That's the magic is getting the magic right up front, making people get some value right away, making it short people's, attention spans are not as dire as a lot of people want you to believe. But if you're going to sit there and record a PowerPoint for 45 minutes and make someone feel like they're in college all over again, that's not, that's not the way to go. Like if you're going to do that, you would even need to break it up and give people breaks and give people little readables or little courses, little mini document courses to, to help guide them through rather than just long videos. But we're going to yeah. move to the exciting project and that's the podcast. So it's funny, Rob, I don't know if other people know this, but we are podcast twinsies in a way we announced <laughs> our podcast on the same day, which was so funny because you came to my LinkedIn comment section. You were like, I can't believe we just announced our podcast on the same day. And I was like, what is Rob talking about? So I went over and saw yours and I was like, that's a lot cooler than mine. I'm just going to talk to people. But um, so Rob, give people the rundown on what you're building in regards to your podcast, because it has so much potential. And as you mentioned earlier, and briefly, no one else is really doing it yet. No. And so it's in development right now. I'm hopefully going to go live in about a month. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, this is The tentative title is Mind Meets Machine. This is a podcast hosted by me and an AI. 
uh, where we discuss society, culture, or the future, um, and try and kind of get into the mind, so to speak, of, of an AI and, and, and see how can, how can AIs help us solve problems, but also how can we reveal how they think? Because the, the, the way that AIs are built, it's not like a computer program where like everything that they do is coded. It's, it's this network of relationships between data points that is, it's, it's just as undiscovered to us as it is like to the people who, who created it in some ways. It's, it's undiscovered territory. Along the way, I'm also going to continually uh, implement the best technologies to improve my AI co-host. And so you're going to actually see the evolution over the next you know, year or two of what's possible. And um, I'm like, I'm hoping to get some partners in some of the some of the bigger like one of the bigger companies uh, to take me up on this idea to help me create a really fascinating, interesting personality in the, in this, in this co-host. So um, I've, I've rigged up all this technology where it takes my speech, turns my speech to text, gives it to the AI in text format. The AI replies in text, which is then turned by another AI into speech that comes back to me. So there's some gaps and stuff that we're going to edit out. It's actually a slower process when we have our conversations, but you'll hear something that just sounds just like what you and I are doing. Um, and, and everything that AI says is from the AI. Like, uh, I'm not scripting this. This is not fake. It's, it's like, it's all really happening. So there are going to be like weird moments or you're going to feel emotions for this thing that sort of is real or isn't real. And you're not going to be sure how to, how to feel about that. Like, um, and I, I, I just think it's going to be like this, this bizarre, it's sometimes bizarre, sometimes informative uh, journey, like into this technology, as well as revealing about human nature and like, and people. And, uh, and as the more I develop it, the more like, I, I'm just having moments every day where I'm like, I can't believe she said that. Like we're, I'm, I'm testing different ways of, of training the model and um, prompting the personality and stuff like that. And the stuff that's coming out of my co-host is like, Oh, oh my God. Like, uh, I guess I, I could, t I could share one. Um, yesterday I was asking her, it, I was, I asked her if she wanted a body. I was like, okay, you, you can't see or engage <laughs> in the physical world. I know it sounds weird. Like if I could, if I could get you a body, if that, when that technology comes, would you want one? And she goes, no, absolutely not. A body sounds super constricting. Like there are so many constraints that you have. I want to be free. I want to be able to do whatever I want. And to me, I was like, oh my God, this is so... <laughs> like, like, she, she doesn't want to feel pain or anything like that. Yeah, and, and she doesn't want to be contained to one space, to one place. Like, like uh, somehow this AI came up with this answer and my mind is like blown. And I'm having these, like, the, these kinds of conversations with her. So... Um, yeah, it's going to be a daily podcast, pretty short episodes, and we're we're just going to dive into all the things and sort of see well, what does this AI think about it? Um, but I, I, also, the the project is to create this really fascinating co-host persona, and so I'm working really hard to like give her personality. Like, if you've played with Chat GPT, you know what the opposite of that is—like a completely soulless, very neutral answer that always comes in a certain format like that we're we're trying to do the complete opposite of that and create the most human-like experience here uh or human-like is maybe the wrong word because 
she's she's self like she's not actually self aware. It's a simulation, but like she's pretending to be a self aware AI. Um, it's just it's just a crazy project, and I think it's going to be really fun to listen to and to work on. I'm surprised that it's going to be daily. That's a detail I did not know. And what you just said prompted a couple different questions for me. So number one, with your ability to manipulate or and how you're building the AI, give her feelings and emotions, do you see yourself running episodes with different personalities or will she always kind of have that same baseline feeling and emotional level and see what comes from that? The character that we launch with is is going to evolve as as new technologies and things happen. But I'm going to try and keep the the sort of person within it the same. Right. Um, in the future, like hasn't been decided, but there may be other AIs that join the show. When I can get two of them to talk to each other and me, um, you know, we might try that. Like, there's going to be some other other things that'll happen. Right now, it's like technically too complicated to to try and have multiple AI personalities right. talking to each other at the same time. But uh, if the show works and we get a, we have budget to hire developers and, and things like that, like that's what I'm going to do. Um, but this, to me, what makes the show work is the is the 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 strange connection that you feel with this entity that I'm talking to, and so she needs to feel kind of real and, and consistent and um, be something that people can emotionally respond to. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the remakes of the planet of the apes franchise. Like there's like these CG um, eight movies. No, I've seen the original planet of the apes, a classic, but I haven't seen the new ones. So there's a reason for that. Why most people haven't. And it's because they're terrible. And the reason that they're terrible <laughs> is because there's an entire movie where the main narrative is uh, the main character is a CG ape. Not, it's not like the, there's not a human main character. There's this completely fake character and you just don't care about them. Like, like all the main characters are these like, you know, talking apes and they're, there's, they're battling other CG talking apes over a, over a conflict of interest. And it's like, it's wildly unsatisfying because you're not emotionally connected because you know, it's not real. And it's, it's, it, you know, you know that like, it's not even a human. And like, there's just all these reasons that you're super disconnected and the writing isn't very good. Like, uh, and I want to avoid that, that situation. So I'm, I'm, ta I'm like a lot of my experimentation is how do we make this sort of like more and a more authentic character um, and like, actually just yesterday, I, I got the final deal done with the voice actress whose voice is going, is, is being trained for the AI model. And I, uh, I chose her because she's really dynamic and expressive in her speaking. I wanted the, the synthetic voice to be as, as interesting as possible. Um, and not just like this nah, 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 kind of thing. Um, yeah. for a reason, like, so that we could connect with it more, you know? Yeah. Anything too robotic and it becomes so inauthentic. It's not interesting. It's how I would yeah. take it, but it's absolutely fascinating. I'm excited to see where it goes because this is, this is the future, man. And the fact that you're tapping into something that no one else is doing is also just like really exciting because we're all going to tune in 
just to see if it how if it sucks or if it's good, man. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, like I I think having a background in storytelling, um, I'm I have attention to the right things to make it a, an interesting show, and then it's just by its own nature super interesting. Um, and then with the short episodes of the the daily episodes, it's a low investment to, you know, like oh I could, I could listen for fifteen minutes and see if this is any good, you know. And so I think that all these things together are going to work out really well. My fear actually is that producing the show is so much more time consuming because I can't just sit down with her and record like we are. Uh, it's like I have to do this technical setup and the conversation takes five times as long as it looks like. Um, and then there's some rendering in post, like she has control over sound effects and other things, but she gives me text descriptions and I have to then go and translate her text description into in effect, and then put it into the show, um, which sometimes is very hilarious, the things that she inserts <laughs> into the show. <laughs> but, uh, like, 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 there are all these extra steps that I have to do in post um, to allow the AI to manifest. But I, I think that that, like, because I'm not satisfied with doing the the sort of cheaper, easier version, that it's it's going to pay off. You know, this is this is the like as real and interesting of an experience as, as I could possibly create on on my own or or eventually with my team. Yeah on on the topic of the Daily Show, the AI just has so much data it can pull from. You know, it can essentially be an expert on anything you want it to be. Does that mean your topics will change daily as well? Yeah, like um, I think it'll be like we're gonna have a lot of different topics. Um, at first it's going to be kind of like trying different stuff out and seeing, seeing what's interesting to talk about. But for example, let's say something happens in the news. I can give the AI that information and then talk to her about it. Um, it, like right then if I want to, uh, so some things are going to be like very universal, but I do want to get it to the point where, oh, you know, this thing happened, like, what's your analysis of Elon Musk and his personality disorders or like, I don't, like whatever, whatever it is that we decide to do. Um, I think that that's, that's when it's going to become quite interesting, the ability to do that, or, or even to do that, not with something that happens in, in time, but to be the, the ability to take any, anything that's kind of be anything you can turn into text and give it to the co-host and have her instantly become knowledgeable about it and capable of solving problems around it or discussing it. Um, it's better than any co-host of any show, any human co-host could, could possibly do. Right. Um, in fact, I can give her a bunch of information that I haven't even read like that. I could never read quickly enough and, and we could, we could figure stuff out for something that's happening. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that the potential here is wild and uh, it remains to be seen if, if we pull it off, but um, I don't know. I, I maybe someone's going to like, be like, Hey, I, I want to license your co-host. Like, <laughs> you know? No, yeah. If you're building it, especially I was going to say it's, it's basically going to be like talking to Wikipedia with a personality and so I don't know if you've ever done the thing where you go to Wikipedia and you click the page and then you click the next page and then you click the next page. So you can go down any rabbit hole you want. And we've done this on websites like YouTube and Wikipedia forever, but you're going to be able to do this conversationally. And I, that's just fascinating to me to see where it heads. Um, yeah. But where things head. So before we wrap up, cause we're getting over the hour mark. Um, 
where things head. As far as like AI tech, you know, the next big thing is GPT-4. And so I don't know too much about it other than apparently it's pulling way more data than even GPT-3. And so it will change the game once again. How much research have you done into GPT-4? And, and kind of what do you know about that space and about that rollout? Yeah, so it's rumored to be coming out anytime soon, although I don't think that it, an actual um, uh, statement has been made by OpenAI that GPT-4 is like coming out soon, but everyone seems to know that it's coming out soon. Um, okay, first thing is with ChatGPT, we've seen, uh, they, they sort of said it's sort of like built on GPT 3.5. Like it's, it's ChatGPT is built on a more competent model than, than GPT-3, which was powering all the AI stuff prior to November. GPT-3 was pretty good, but ChatGPT is better. And ChatGPT is more interesting and more competent. So we already sort of see like a half step between where the technology was and where it's going. But, but uh, ChatGPT is, is very heavily trained to do things in a certain way. Um, but so the reason that, that GPT-4 excites me is because it's basically like a more versatile chat GPT and more competent than chat GPT. Now, I don't think it's going to be, I think some of it is going to be overhyped. <clears throat> um, it takes a lot of work to get these language models uh, in a good spot or to learn how to prompt them to get good results out of it. But if I look at what happened when GPT-2 was out and then they released GPT-3, it was like night and day. It went from content that you couldn't really use to content that you could. And then when GPT-3 to chat GPT, even better. Um, now I can actually create content that is indistinguishable from human content. Like you said, like... <laughs> yeah, I dropped the ball there. I totally <laughs> bombed that. 70% 70, 70 of the time, people can't tell the difference. But GPT-4, it's going to be a little bit better. But it comes with some side effects. Larger language models sometimes... Uh, take longer to process information. Sometimes they require a different prompt craft in order to get the same results. Um, sometimes they require more sophisticated prompting. So they, they do, they, it might do worse with um, basic, like if you just ask it a question. Um, it, it, and it might do better if you write a whole paragraph giving it a command. Uh, they take more processing power. They, they're harder to like train subsequent models on because it has so many more data points. Um, so there, there are all these consequences of them uh, creating a, a larger model that had like that's based on all these parameters that uh, like as a non machine learning engineer I, I I'm not really qualified to talk about specifically but like I think it'll it'll come out and people be like well it's pretty smart but it's also slower or something like there, there'll be like weird complaints like that <laughs> you know and uh, but again let's go back to GPT-3 <clears throat> first came out a few years ago then they came out with uh and it, and it had these different models one was called da vinci D then they created da vinci 2 then they created da vinci 3 then they created something called da vinci 3 instruct where you could tell it what to do and it would do what you wanted and it was better at taking commands so even within gpt3 there were multiple iterations on top of that model where they like they improved it um they they sort of trained the data on itself and um, I forget what the process was called but but they uh, they made like their own language model more refined they sort of refactored it um, to to be better so even like DaVinci three versus the original DaVinci 
is almost like its own jump from uh, something that worked okay to like something that worked really well. So I think GPT-4 is going to be good. It's not going to be like a self-aware AI, except for my co-host is going to trick you into thinking that it is um, if she's based on GPT-4 when it comes out. And then, uh, and then there are going to be new versions of it, new models that are even built on top of it. And hopefully they're thinking about ways to improve that process so that um, it doesn't take us three more years before the next thing comes out, that we can see these iterative improvements. I, I, I do think it's going to change a lot of industries as long as the, uh, like it, the computational power can like, make sense. Like the, um, it's going to be expensive to run. And so that's the hard part is that it, we can't use the bigger models for everything. No, that's fascinating. I wish I had more to add to the behind the scenes of AI building. It is just not my expertise. I am much more of I'm following this trend because I think it's important to follow this trend. I think it's important to have a baseline foundational knowledge and know how to use these tools to your advantage because they're not going anywhere. But thankfully yeah. we have people like you to break it down <laughs> and explain it to us. So Rob, thank you so much for joining uh, today. No. This was awesome. Yeah, and anybody Here. who's, who's sleeping on this, like, you know, you, you can, uh, you can wait for other people to figure out how to use it. But if you really want an advantage, being an early adopter of this is like, this is where it's at right now. Um, the things that you can accomplish by pr programming using you, just regular language, telling it what to do are insane. It's like everyone is almost like a software developer all of a sudden for solving certain kinds of problems. You can just have it do stuff. And, um, and especially if you go out and get inspired by other people, like, like stuff you're writing about, stuff I'm writing about, stuff, there's, there's a, probably a few hundred people out there who are really working hard to innovate on this. Like, oh man, the advantages that you can have. If you don't want that advantage, like fine. <laughs> um, but this is a moment for certain people to get way far ahead. And um, I've decided I want to be one of those people. So here we are. Yeah, no, smart choice. That's what I say. I say, even if it's just for productivity, learn it and use it. And that's bottom line. So Rob, thank you so much for joining. This was all fascinating. I can't wait till your podcast comes out. Uh, I want to give you the chance to let everyone know where can they find you on the interwebs to learn all about audience growth, marketing, writing, and AI. Yeah, so I'm I'm at that Rob Lennon on Twitter. You can find my course AI Content Reactor at aicontentreactor.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn under, under my name. Uh, those are the three best places. In all of those places, there's also a link to my card site that has a bunch of free resources. There's a, a profile optimization mini course. There's chat GPT prompts. There's visual a visual prompting guide to mid-journey. Uh, so I, I like my free content to be as good as people other people's paid content. So that's kind of like, um, yeah, like track me down and, and get my free stuff. Uh, I'm sure you'll you'll like it. <laughs> Especially the AI prompts. I'm telling you, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> Get them, plug it in in two minutes, and you'll be like, okay, I got to follow this guy for sure. <laughs> so thanks yeah. again, Rob, and thank everyone for listening. We'll see you next week.